Thank you, team. Amen. We welcome you today to church. We are glad you're here today. I am glad to be in church. There's two teams that we asked you to pray for, a team in Africa and a team in Brazil. And I just want to remind you of that. We actually have two parts of Africa. We have some in South Africa and some in Zambia, which is in Southern Africa. And then a group of 13 left yesterday and they're in Brazil. They happen to be in church right now, just a one hour difference. So they're in church, we just heard from them and they begin their work this afternoon. And then um, I go tonight to Brazil with the two drummers back there. You know the guy beating it away? That's Cameron and Carlos. So I'm with the two drummer boys for the next week and we're gonna go down to Brazil. We're gonna do a couple of things with several churches and then we're gonna meet up with our team. So really three groups, four groups of people around the world. If you're praying, thank you for doing that. I'll be back next Sunday, God willing. So be here just leaving tonight and coming back Saturday. So we are excited. If you're interested in getting a part of a group and getting out on the missions, just go back and ask them and they'll let you know we plan these things six months in advance or eight months even in advance. So you can be thinking and praying about that. Also, for those of you who have children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, younger brothers and sisters, whatever it may be, even friends. Awana begins in a few weeks and we're doing sign up. Awana is our Wednesday night children's uh, program. It's fantastic as well. My five, our five children went through it. It's a great opportunity and sign up is there. There is a limit to it. So we allow our church to sign up first. And if there's any empty places, we open it up to the community at large. So if you are interested, go and sign up. They'll be down in the lobby afterwards. Also, if you'd like prayer, come forward. So again, as I always say, if you want to learn about the church, go that way. If you want to learn about the Lord, come this way after church, okay? We have men and women up here that will pray with you, will uh, spend time with you. If you just want to be alone as well, you can certainly do that. We're excited about people's spiritual lives and then also their life here at church. So it goes both ways as well. If you came alone and you have no friends, you don't know what to do, go into the lobby afterwards and meet somebody. And people, our people, if you see somebody who's by themselves or just walking around, stop and talk to them. I don't want anybody to leave without having met God and met somebody else today. Can we do that, church? Okay, let's do that. Now, we're in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. There are no slides today because everything I'm going to say is straight out of the Bible. So you don't need to look up, you need to look down for a few moments and just see what the Bible says. So we're going to finish chapter 4 today. And it was interesting, as we were singing today, I was realized I'm just going to share something that I've shared uh, earlier this year when we were talking about the disciple-making journey. There are five themes in the Bible and I want to tell you where the theme of Ephesians 4 fits into it, because sometimes we jump into the Bible and we go, oh yeah, let's talk about that, and we forget where we are in the themes. We may know where we are just in the books, but the themes, and there are five major themes in the Bible. The first theme is creation, that we serve a God who is a creator God. We've talked a lot about this, the whole early part of Genesis and the creation. Then we know the second theme is the 
whole concept of the fall of sin. And the fall occurred in Genesis chapter 3, but it's also spoken about in the book of Romans, it's spoken about in the book of Ephesians, the book of Galatians, all throughout the Bible, and you see it empirically in the way people act that we are all sinners. I have actually had people tell me they have never sinned. Is that the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard? I have never sinned. Like, that is the most empirically definable understanding that every person in the world has sinned. We have all sinned. That's the fall. And we've not just sinned against each other. We've sinned against the Almighty God, which is the most important part of this. So the third theme in the Bible is redemption. Redemption. And that is the whole concept of the Gospels, the whole concept of Christmas and Easter. You have to have both the virgin birth and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the whole concept that God gave us a free gift to pay for our sin and our falling. And it's called redemption. We've got bigger words than that. We have smaller words than that. But basically, Jesus Christ is our substitute. That is a theme. In the Old Testament, it's the theme of the Messiah. In the New Testament, it's the theme of Christ which is just the Greek word of Messiah, Christos, and that's what it is. That's the third one. The fourth one I'll leave for a minute, and the fifth one is the whole recreation of the new creation that's going to happen at the end of the day, and that's what we were just singing about, right? Revelation chapter 21 and 22, there is going to be a new creation, and those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ and received redemption will be a part of the new creation, and in that new creation, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And I need to tell you something, which I'm, it's, in the, it's in here, but I just have to tell you, there will be work in heaven. Can I disappoint you? I, had, I said this once years ago, and somebody came up and said, you ruined my day. Because work is not a part of the fall. Work is the part of creation. We think work is a part of the fall. Work is a part of the creation. Sweat and all the rest is a part of the fall, but in pain and toil and all that. But work is going to be there. This concept that we're going up there and getting those grapes and somebody's going to be fanning you with those big feather fans is somewhere not in the Bible. And here's the other thing, which I'll just really blow your mind. You may not be living in heaven. You might be living on the new earth. See, there's a new earth, a new Jerusalem, and a new heaven. It's all one. It's all combined. It's all, it's been destroyed, and it's been rebuilt, and we are going to populate that place. It's going to be so cool. There won't need to be a sun because Jesus Christ is there. You got to read Revelation 21 and 22 to get this whole story. It's so cool. And we got to get rid of some of the medieval concepts of what heaven is and that the angels work for us and all that kind of foolishness. We are there to worship God and to work his kingdom, which is what Adam and Eve were supposed to do at the beginning. And it all fell apart, right? Does that make sense? I left out the fourth one. The fourth one is between redemption and recreation, and that's where we all live today if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'll use the simple word, renewal. 
There is a renewal that happens. There are bigger theological words around that uh, between redemption. So if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, the things I say to you do not apply. I mean, they do apply a little because they're all good things, but you're just doing them to be good. But if you do them and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is in the renewal time. This is when my one foot is in the kingdom of earth and my other foot is in the kingdom of heaven. And when I die, this foot leaves the kingdom of earth and goes entirely in the kingdom of heaven. Do you see that? So now let's look at this. So let me give you an example. As we're looking in renewal, what happens now? I'm alive. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not in the new creation, in the new kingdom yet, or I'm sorry, in the new heaven and new earth yet. You are in the new kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. But what do we do? So let me give you an example. A few years ago, I was on a mission trip with a few people. Some of you are here that were there with us. We went to Mexico, northern Mexico, in, a, in the northeast part of Mexico in a city called Tampico. Tampico was uh, kind of the headquarters of narco-terrorism back about 20 years ago. No one went there unless you were doing bad things. And so we went there. I kind of didn't tell everybody where we were going at the time, but it had been changed. And now it's the headquarters of a lot of the auto industry to assemble automobiles, textiles. It's just an incredible place. And they have a great port that brings all the goods that are made in northern Mexico that need to be shipped out, not the ones going to America, to be shipped out to Europe and South America. They come to the port in Tampico. And so we were in Tampico doing some ministry and the port is along the river, which opens up into the Gulf of Mexico. So it's one of those long, thin ports. It's not a bay or a harbor. It's along a river, so it's miles long, so the ships can just line up. And at the end, out towards the uh, ocean or the Gulf of Mexico, was a lighthouse. I love lighthouses. It's all locked up. It's all chained. It's all razor wire everywhere. You can't get near any of the port. It's all that way because of the goods, they don't want them being stolen, and the lighthouse is in there. So one night, I realized I'm never gonna see the lighthouse close up. So one of the nights, one night, usually we like to eat at a nice restaurant when we're on a trip one time, kind of the local fare. And so we went to this restaurant, there's about eight of us, and we're sitting there, and you know, I'm, I can order in Spanish, but I'm not great with Spanish. Many of you come and know Spanish incredibly well, first language, I'm not. So we're there, and we're looking at a seafood place, and a guy behind me goes, order the shrimp. Order the shrimp. I turn, and he hands me a plate of shrimp. Now, I'm usually not taking people's food off their plates, and certainly not in another country with people I don't know. And, and I turn, he goes, you gotta try the shrimp. So you know what? When in Mexico, do what they do. I tried the shrimp. It was unbelievable. And I'm passing the shrimp around our guys to all our, the men and women at our table. And I turned and I saw on his shirt, it was a shirt like this, but it had, you know, embroidered port authority. I said, do you work for the port? He said, I run the port. He said, I'm the president of the port authority. I said, great. I said, what should we order? So he ordered for us and did everything. And then I said, can we see the port? He goes, absolutely. Come over tomorrow to the front. I said, I, I love ports, but I really want to go to the lighthouse. He goes, you're in. 
He goes, I'll have a guard, I'll have a driver, I'll have a big SUV. He said, only four of you can go. I said, well, only three plus me are going. So they picked. We met there, found out all about the port. It was just fabulous. This guy was fantastic, a believer. It was just fantastic. And so we get in the car and go to the lighthouse. Have you ever walked up a lighthouse? Typical lighthouse is made of blocks. It might have some reinforcing rods. And when you're walking up, it's a cylinder and you're walking up the spirals. And then there's these slits where you can look out. And then you turn around and you look and you look in this way. And you're really not quite sure where you are because you're inside. And all of a sudden I'm looking out and I'm seeing the Gulf of Mexico. Then I'm going around and I'm looking out and seeing the river. Then I'm going around and seeing the city. Then I'm going around and seeing the port. Then I'm going around and seeing the pasture lands that are across from the city, a beautiful area of the country. And I'm thinking, which one is it? Is it a river? Is it a port? Is it... Uh, the Gulf of Mexico? Is it a city? Is it pasture lands? You know, because we only see one. And sometimes we as believers only get a slip of what God is doing. We only see a little. And what's interesting is when you're walking, you kind of get separated and someone up here is saying, what a beautiful city. And I'm over here looking at an ocean. I'm going, what city? And some other people are looking at a port and going, what ocean and what city? Do you see what I mean? And so there are believers, and as we walk through life, God exposes certain things in our lives, and we don't always see it at the same time or in the same way. And the further up you go, you see better. Then down low, you're seeing the trees, and it's being blocked, and all of a sudden you're above the tree line, then there are no trees, But the beautiful thing is, at the end of your walk up, you get the 360, and you see it all. None of us see it all yet. Some of us have walked the cylinder staircase more than others, so we've seen different parts more than others, but none of us have seen it all, have we? And we're not going to see it all until that day of the recreation, and then it will all come together. But before then, God has given us his scripture to help us see life. And again, we're limited, so we only see a part. The problem is, in this renewal thing, a lot of it has to do with what, there are a lot of actions we need to do. There's the do this, don't do that, right? don't do this, do this, don't do that. And those of us who are negative go, oh, the scriptures are all about don't doing anything. And all of us who are positive, it's all about scriptures telling us what we should be doing. It's a combination of both. So last week I talked about put off the old, renewal, redemption, and then put on the new, right? So what does that mean? He begins to flesh this out today. So I'm going to give you eight or ten what you should put off and eight or ten what you should put on. I'm not saying, I'm just repeating what Paul said and giving you a little background to it. And here's what I want you to do. It's all in the Bible. So if you're on your app or you're on your iPad, you have a physical Bible, you have nothing, write it on your hand, whatever you want. I don't care how you do it, but walk out of here 
with one or two things you should stop doing and one or two things you should start doing. Don't try to do all eight or 10, stop doing and all eight or 10. I mean, if you're good, you can do that, but then you won't do any of it because you get so frustrated. Just pick one or two. Can you do that? Let's walk through it. So the first couple of verses, he does this. The first four sets of don'ts and do's are real, real uh, definable. And this is what he does. He says, don't do this, negative, do this, positive. And then he gives a theological, biblical reason for doing it, not doing it and doing it. Does that make sense? So it's all in one setting. And then he goes to another one. Don't do this, do this. And here's the reason why. Can we look at them? Let's start in verse 25. Therefore, having put aside falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Stop lying, start telling the truth, because we are all members of the body of Christ. Remember, this is written to the church. This is written to believers. So he's saying, stop telling falsehoods, start speaking the truth, because we are believers in a body of Christ, and the body of Christ has to deal in truth and not in falsehood. Now you go, oh, this is easy. Let me tell you, this is not easy. It's not easy. I can't tell you how many times people will say false things. False things. So they'll say these false things. They don't like to use the word lying. Okay, we don't lie. We just share, and we're just giving things. And so I remember a few years ago, a lady was spreading rumors around the church that were so false, it was just horrendous. It was ludicrous. So finally, our team couldn't do anything about it. I approached her with her husband. I said, man, tell me what you're telling everybody. And she said, blah, 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 blah. And that's about what it sounded like, blah, 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 blah. And I said, I need to tell you because I know that all of those are false. And she said, well, I'm still going to blah, 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 and blah, 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 blah. I said, you can't because it's false, and you're a follower of Jesus. You need to speak truth and not falsehood. And she went again into this, like, tirade. And I looked at her, and I said, stop lying. She goes, I'm not lying. I said, when you say something that's false, and you have been told that it's false, and it's empirically true that it's false, then you are lying. And she goes, whoa, I'm not a liar. Well, I gotta tell you, if you tell false things, you're a liar. Just call it what it is. If you say something that is false, you are a liar. Now, I'm not condemning you. God condemns you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to say, what should we do? We should tell the truth. And later on, it says, tell the truth in love. Usually when we lie or tell falsehood, it's because we have an agenda for it. But we should tell the truth because we love people and tell it in love. Why? Because we are members of a body. Remember I said a couple weeks ago when Gandhi was asked why he did not follow Christianity in India? He said the problem with Christianity in India is the Christians. Now, I'm not going against the Christians in, Indiana, in, in India. The problem with Christianity in the United States is Christians that aren't acting. The Bible says they'll know we are Christians by our love, not by our falsehood, and we tell the truth in love. Do you see that? So here's the first thing. Put off falsehood, put on truth, 
Because we are members of one body. Now, I see none of you are circling that one. Because, so circle it on your own. Nobody needs to see you look down and circle it. But if you need to, do it. Number two, verse 26 and 27, they come together. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Okay, this is an amazing one. Put off anger. But it's okay to be angry. Put off anger, but it's okay to be angry. How does that work? Well, this is how it works. You have to be angry without sinning and by the time the sun sets. Those are the two criteria that you can be angry. So if something happens and you get angry and you say, I'm angry, righteous anger or whatever word you like to use to spiritualize your anger, I've never quite understood anger without sin. I have to be honest. I don't think I've ever met somebody who's been angry without sin, but maybe you can, and it says you can, but you have to get rid of it by the time the sun sets. So you can be angry 12, 14 hours. In this group, because if you're angry more than 14 hours, you're in this group, which is you're sinning. Why? Because anger eats at the soul. Can I just tell you that? Anger eats at the soul. See, when I'm angry at you, it may affect you, may not affect you, but it always affects me. Anger destroys people. Now, it may destroy you if I play out my anger, but it will destroy me. There is nothing worse than an angry person. And can I say an angry Christian is even worse because you should know better. You can't be angry. Now, if you have some righteous anger, your brother-in-law does something to your sister in the marriage and you're upset, okay, you can be upset, but it, by the nighttime, you gotta move that into something else and get out of anger. And people go, but I've been angry for 10 years. I've been angry for 20 years. And when I see people that are angry for 10 and 20 years, I see people in a self-destructive path. And usually they don't get it and they don't know it and they don't understand it, but all their friends understand it, right? And you know what? Their kids are angry because they're angry. If you wanna see an angry kid, go look at their parents. It's not always true. But a lot of time, why? And here's the theology behind it. It says here, do not give opportunity to the devil. Here's the point. The devil and all his demons and all the evil ones in the world want you to be angry because they know that opens up the door to your life. Anger is like, come on in. You got to deal with it. Now, Elizabeth and I have lived in uh, homes all our life, but we moved into a condo two years ago, which has been wonderful because in Florida, the yards, I, always, I like taking care of my own yard. Well, it never ends, does it? Those weeds, 
I tell you what, you know, I'd go, oh, there's some weeds over here. I'll get them next time I'm out, which will be supposed to be a week later, but it's usually two weeks later. And by the time you go back out, those weeds have taken root and they've destroyed the grass. They've taken such root, you now need a shovel. And if you don't do it for a few more weeks and a few more months, and all of a sudden, I have seen people that have had to get backhoes to get the weeds out of their backyard. You got to deal with it. And when you are angry, Satan brings the weeds into your life. And they do nothing but take control, take over. And here's the thing, weeds can be green. Green, Weeds even can flower from time to time. Have you ever seen? They flower. They got these cute little flowers that last a very short time. We think, oh, they're doing great. No, it's a weed that's destroying the soil, the sod, the grass, the other plants around it, other flowers you may have. It's just destroying everything. But it's green. And if you mow it, it looks like grass for a while. But let me tell you, don't let anger, the sun go down on your anger. Be angry, get it over with. Which means if you are angry, you got a lot of work to do today. If something makes you angry, you can't rest until you are not angry anymore. And here's the thing. The best thing to do with someone you're angry with is to pray for them. We need to realize that people are not the problem, people are the prize. Because if that person comes to Christ or changes his way, the angels in heaven are gonna rejoice. Do you realize you have an opportunity to have heaven rejoice because of something you've done to another person in a good way. But if you stay angry, that person's the problem. With God, that person's the prize. And so don't give the opportunity for the devil. Now, the devil himself is not going to do it. He's got more to do than worry about you. So don't think the devil made me do it, the old Flip Wilson thing. Those of you who are older knew Flip Wilson. Every time he did something bad, he said, the devil made me do it. The devil's not making you do it, but the devil's ways are making you and helping you in a very negative way. And you just got to cut it out and cut that. You know what? When you see a weed, just go over and pull it that very day. Pull it, and then it's gone. It's not reproducing, it's not creating the problems, and pull the weed. And that's what you have to do with anger. So number one, what do we have? Lying and truth. Number two, we have anger and getting over your anger. We'll talk more about that. Let's go to 28, number three. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him, and it's her too, both, labor doing honest work with their own hands so that they, he, may have something to share with anyone in need. Here's the thing. The negative thing is stealing. The positive is working and laboring. The reason is so that you will have something to give away. You can support your family and give it away. So let's talk about stealing. None of us steal. None of us steal. Maybe you do. The last job I had before I became pastor was I worked for, I ran a series of offices for a company. I remember this one office was in a very wealthy part of town, very wealthy people that worked there. I mean, they all had more money than I did. They were very wealthy. And I remember... Every Monday when I came home, I came back to work, there was no toilet paper. 
Now, you know, you buy those Costco toilet papers and you put, you know, the copy paper and the pens and the paper clips and the staplers and staple, all the supplies. And on the top, you would put all the rolls of toilet paper. We had two bathrooms, two single bathrooms in it. And I'd buy a Costco thing and then on Monday, it's gone. They were stealing the toilet paper. Now, these people all had more money than was conscionable to have and they're stealing the toilet paper. So I got them all together one day. I said, listen, people, I will buy you toilet paper. Just stop stealing the toilet paper. Let me tell you something. In our life before Christ, there is a sense that we are owed something. And if we don't get it, we take it. It can be anything. And I'm just laughing about toilet paper but a lot of people feel they are owed things in life. And they take it. And it can be in your industry, it can be in your family, it can be in your education, it can be in cheating, it can be in whatever way you want to talk about it. And God says, no, Paul says, no, work for it. Work for it. And here's the thing, why the theology behind it is so that you can give some away. Now here's the principle behind it. God gives to us so we can give to others. And people in America hate that. The American dream is I get so mine can succeed, right? The American dream. I prosper, so my kids, my grandkids, me, I can do this. That's the American dream. But God's dream is that he gives to us so we can give to others. God gave to Abraham so he could give to others. God gave to David so he could give to others. God gave to Esther so she could give to others. God gave to Ruth so she could give to others. God gave to Paul so he could give to others. God gave to Bill so he could give to others. God gave to you so you could give to others. There's an old hymn. Some of you, that, that, that's a song that's old, if you don't know what a hymn is. It's H-Y-M and not H-I-M, a hymn. I'm doing it for Clay who's listening. There's an old hymn that says, channels only. I don't know, does anybody remember that from like way back? Okay, we're all aged here, those of us who are older. Channels only. God gives to us so we can channel it to other people. Now, the word channel has been used and taken away from us by the New Age movement, but it's a biblical concept that God gives to us so I can channel what he gives me to other people. That's what it is. I have a friend who um, attends here in the winter, and we were talking about this one day. He said, I said, talk to me about your tithing and how you tithe. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he goes, I'd rather have 90% blessed by God than 100% blessed by me. He goes, I just give it away. It's what it does. And he gives way more than 10%, but give it away. God gives to us so we can help and give to others. But if, you, you know, you can steal from yourself, by the way, those who are living on 120% of your life are somewhat stealing from yourself. You're stealing from the future. You're, you know, presuming on the future. You're thieving the future. 
by living on 120% or living on your credit cards. Now, maybe you need to do some things to work it out and all the rest. We have a great um, program here that will start again in September, Financial Peace University, and they usually sit over here. I don't see them today, but that run at the Zeningas that will help you work through if you have financial problems because we need to be able to help other people. Why? Here's the thing. When I go to the store or go online, more likely now than go to a store, and I spend a dollar, a hundred dollars, whatever it is, I get one back. I spend a dollar, I get back. If I'm fortunate and I go to Publix and it's BOGO, you know what BOGO is? Yeah, of course you do. Buy one, get one. Then you get two for one, two for one. Wow, that's huge. God says when you give to him and to his people and help, it's not one for one or two for one, it's five for one, 10 for one, 20 for one, 60 to one, 100 to one. Is that unbelievable? You go, I only have a few dollars left. Well, those few dollars placed in God's hands could do enormous things, enormous things. I wanna give you one example. So at this church, years ago, when I was a young child, I grew up in this church, there was a guy who was about 10 years older than me, so he would've been in high school when I was in early elementary, so didn't really know him well, but followed him, left, went to college, started working for Campus Crusade for Christ, and um, this was in the 70s and early 80s, 1980s, and a movie came out called The Jesus Film. And he saw it, and with some others, he said, you know, this could be translated into other languages. At the end of the day, they translated it into, I don't know, multiple thousands of languages. And it's interesting, there are millions of people in the kingdom of God because of the ministry of the Jesus film. It all started with a high schooler from Boca Raton Community Church. Now, your predecessors who donated money to this church to pay for the youth pastor, do they know that those few dollars that they put in every week, that part of it went into the youth ministry, paid for something that millions of people came to Christ on? We don't even know. They don't even, well, they're long dead probably by now, but they don't even know. This guy just died this year. His name was Paul Eshelman. He just passed away a few months ago. What an incredible legacy, but it all started in this building right here with people like you who gave, and it went not one to one, one to two, but one to millions. See, that's the beautiful thing with God's kingdom. But if you're living in a world where you have you don't, you know, it's all about me. And I know we all have financial problems and we got to work through them. I, I get that. But I'm talking to the 90% here, the 80% here that, and you go, wow. And I'm just thinking, who are the next Paul Eshelmans that are sitting right here? They're sitting right here in our congregation. Maybe not one to a million, but maybe it's one to three, one to five. The money you give to City House What's, what are those ladies and those kids going to be doing 10 years, 20 years from now? Those kids 
that are now two and three years old that we have 12. Well, I think we have seven or eight now living on our campus. It's going up to 12 in a few weeks, God willing, because of the generosity of you and the partnership with City House. It's because of that. It's an amazing thing. That's just number three. Generosity to others. God has blessed us so we can bless others. Let's go to verse 29. Keep it going. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such is as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't say harsh things. Don't say bad things. Don't say corrupting things. Say good things that build up. Do you see that? It's pretty simple. Stop saying the bad things and start saying the good things. And here it says, that it may give grace to those who hear. The Bible says, for by grace you are saved through faith. That's God's grace to us through Jesus Christ. But we have the ability to be little people who give grace to people. I cannot give them their ultimate salvation. Only God through Jesus Christ can. But I can help people. And it's called giving them grace. You and I have the ability to encourage people. You and I have the ability with our words to do things. We can tear down or we can build up. And you have the choice. The tongue is a fire. You have the choice with what you're gonna do. Are you gonna have a wildfire or are you gonna have a fire that brings warmth and direction and strength and allows people to cook with that fire? And that is your choice. And here's what he says. This is the amazing thing. The theological part of this is he's allowed us to be a part of the building up of other people. That's the grace. But also, when you do this, you have grieved the Holy Spirit. When you speak these bad things, these corrupt things, you have grieved the Holy Spirit that he has given us as a seal for the future day of redemption. When you become a believer, the Holy Spirit comes to you because it's a promise or a pledge for what he's gonna do in the new creation. He has given it to, and you grieved him. I've grieved him. And I am just as bad as you are on this one. It is so easy to say something nasty and so hard to say something good. And let me tell you, are you here to tear people down? Or are you here to build them up? Now, some people need to be talked tough to. I get that. But by and large, are you going to tear people down? Or are you going to build them up? And then, in closing, verse 31 and 32, if you didn't get all that, he kind of gives a synopsis of the negatives and then a synopsis of the positives. So if you can't remember the four things I said, negative and positive, here they are in other words. 31 is the negative, 32 is the positive. Just underline them. There's five things that negative and three things positive. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, loud clamor, and slander be put away. Can I just say, I don't need to say any more. You figure out if what you're doing fits that, along with malice. There's the sixth one. I don't like you because of what you did to someone else. That's malice. Put it away. And then verse 32 says, but put on this. Be kind to one another, 
tenderhearted. That's the word compassion. Be compassionate. And then he eclipses it all with this, forgiving one another as you have been forgiven. This is the one. Paul's good at this and Jesus is good at this. It's not putting us on a guilt trip, but the rea- didn't Jesus say, you know, right after the Lord's Prayer, when he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And the next verse in the Sermon on the Mount is, as you forgive, God forgives. The verse here, just remember, God forgive you, forgave you, why aren't you forgiving other people? Forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So did you underline or circle one of these, one of the negative ones? Do you have one? Raise your hand if you have one. Come on. I have like three. Come on, raise your hand. Let me see them. Okay, these are the honest ones. Good. And then you can lie to yourself too, by the way. Um, and then what, how many, did you underline or circle a positive thing you want to now try to do? Stop doing it. Raise your hand. Good. Okay, so this week, practice lack of the negative and, the, and doing the positive. And when you see me next Sunday or you talk to somebody who was here, tell them what you did and don't be embarrassed about it. So in closing, time's up. There's been a lot of wildfires across North America. We were in Chicago this summer and it was just like smog. I go, where's the fire? And they said like 400 miles north. I'm going, how does that work? Canada was ablaze all summer long. And there's still fires all across Western United States and in Canada and all the rest. We don't get it here occasionally in the Everglades because we have so much rain. Thank God, we live in the subtropics. It just rains constantly, so we're, we're not going to get a forest fire, wildfire, brush fires. But here's the thing with fires. And I just kind of wondered when I would see firefighters die, and it, it just bothered me. It always bothers me when a firefighter dies fighting a fire. Why? These people have helicopters and planes and those suits and the oxygen and all the various things that they use. And I found, so I studied it a few years ago. I said, why is it? And, and I looked and there are like dozens of firefighters who die fighting fires. I thought, wouldn't they know where to go, where not to go, how it works? And this is the main reason why firefighters who are experienced, these people are experienced, why they die in fires is because the wind shifts and it starts blowing towards them, and they start running away, and the fire catches up to them. Now, how fast does the fire move, and how fast can a firefighter move? What I didn't tell you is they have between 60 and 100 pounds of backpack on them. They have a chainsaw. They have all the oxygen. They have all these things on their back and down the sides and all those hatchets and all the equipment they use. And when they're running away, they're running away with 100 pounds on their back. And the fire can run faster than the strongest man or woman with 100 pounds on their back. And the ones who survive take the pack off and run. And they can get to high ground or across an opening or wherever that's appropriate to go. Usually it's higher ground. And they survive it. 
Yeah, they lose some of the pack, but they survive it. We as followers of Christ need to realize that there's a fire in this world. And there's a time to fight this fire and there's a time to run. And when you're running away, you gotta take off some of the past. You gotta take off some of the things that weigh you down. God is calling us to higher ground. And there's a fire out there. And sometimes you just gotta lay the pack down and run to the higher ground. But we don't wanna lay it down. I love this. I love my past. I love my anger. I lo- it is fun to be angry at somebody. I love all that. I don't need to be honest. I don't need to be compassionate. I don't need all these. I don't need to give away what I have is mine and what God wants it. He owns the cattle on a thousand. He'll let him sell those cattle. I got mine. He has his. If you have that kind of attitude, you're just carrying baggage and you're going to get, someday you're just going to get popped. Or take that baggage off and realize what God has called you to do. Let's pray together.